0: Amen, well God bless you, you can be seated if you can I want to welcome everyone tuning in online as well You missed a bad day not to be at church uh, But thankful you're still here And uh, I won't be long But um, I would just want to share uh, along the lines of what we talked I asked them to throw that song in uh, last minute on a refiner's fire uh, GPC kids, you guys are dismissed uh, as well you guys have a wonderful service, but we are in the season of Advent, which means awaiting the arrival of Christ. Um, and just as we talked of last week, we dealt with what the prophet Malachi said and and what he foretold. And and I want to camp there and bring a few things out that I didn't get um, the opportunity to uh, because a lot of you were getting hungry and want to respect that. But I want to talk about a refiner's fire because we, we know that in, um, in Proverbs it says the fear of the Lord is what? It's the beginning of wisdom. And when you begin to understand the fear of the Lord that is a believer, you either run from the fear of God or you embrace the fear of God. And it's when you embrace the fear of God saying, I honor him, I trust him in my circumstance, I trust him in the good, that's where true wisdom and knowledge can come forth from the word of God, from the spirit of God. And my heart this morning is, is that you don't fear the fire, but you let it set you ablaze. See, the Amago day, the image of God, when the fire comes upon you, it refines anything that is not in the image of God. And when the fire of God consumes It doesn't consume that which is the image of God. It consumes that which is distorting and marring and tearing down the image of God inside of you and what is on you. So when you embrace the fire of God, and a lot of times it is not easy, even if you know it's God, because in that you know some things are going to get burned up. Some compromise is going to get burned up. Some sin is going to get burned up. Some attitudes of how you think about yourself or other people are going to get burned up. Things that You've just become comfortable with When the fire of God touches that and refines It cleans your hands It cleans your heart And it cleans your head It's, it's, a, it's a purging of anything that isn't of God I was also taken to, to Hebrews 12 And, and I want to read this They don't have it in the back But it talks about that Don't despise the chastising Or the discipline uh, Of when God begins to touch you with this fire it says this for consider him so when you're going through the trial or when the fire is is burning some things up in your life it says remember Christ and the hostilities from sinners that was against him lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul see when God is touching some things in you sometimes it can be easy um, to misunderstand what he's doing and be, to become weary and discouraged in the process it says, "'You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, thriving against, "'striving against sin, "'and you have forgotten the exhortation "'which speaks to you as to sons.'" So he's quoting a prophecy or quoting um, what was spoken of. It says, "'My son, do not despise the chastising of the Lord, "'nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. "'For when the, whom the Lord loves, he chastens "'and scourges every son who he receives.'" So when the fire of God begins to work in your life, that is an indicator. You know what? God chastises who he loves. So this is, I, this is affirmation to my identity as a son of God or as a daughter of God, that God loves me too much to leave me in folly or leave me in wickedness. Verse 7 says, if you endure chastising, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastising, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness." Now no chastising seems to be joyful for the present, but hear this, but painful nevertheless. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Anybody wanna be trained in the fire this morning? You wanna be trained by the chastisement of the Lord? If you sign up, you're saying a dangerous prayer, you're making a dangerous declaration, but it's saying that this is what brings forth the peaceable fruit. Of righteousness if you allow yourself to be trained by it. If when the coals get hot, you don't jump out, but you stay in, knowing that the fourth man is with you. And the image of God will get ablaze, and that which is not of God will be consumed. Hebrews twelve nine, if you put it up, Tim says this. We know this about God. Is our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And so what we see through this, and I want to go back to Malachi, Tim, if you go there, but I want to read again. Um, We saw last week when Jesus suddenly appeared in the temple. We also saw um, what the foretelling of John the Baptist, of how he would come. He was a forerunner, how he would prepare the way for the Messiah. And when you look at the book of Malachi, one commentary said this, that it's Malachi is filled with poems straining with anticipation for us to meet the Messiah. He wants us to meet him and to know him in his fullness and to know him in his glory. And so as we read this, just picture Malachi excited and ready and wants you to meet this amazing person. Him not knowing when the Messiah would be revealed. But this Christmas season, this Advent season, I pray that there is a anticipation in your walk with God to meet him, to know him, to look for him, that just as he came then, yes, he will come again, but he comes to us even how he did and is this morning, that he refreshes us and renews us. And so Malachi 3 verse 1 says again, that behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? So he's saying when the fire or the presence of God comes, can you handle it? Can, Are you ready for what's about to happen? And we, we looked at last week that when the Son of Man came into the temple, he drove the money changers out. He took time to, to braid a whip, that he came ready to say my house is not a house. My house is to be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. John the Baptist, even as as we know this is the messenger, you look at the first three chapters of the gospel, which is uh, dedicated really to John the Baptist and and his ministry. And he would would pretty much, he wouldn't go into the city to minister to people. He would stay out in the wilderness and call everyone broods of vipers, yet crowds would flock toward him. It's kind of uh, an oxymoron, you know. Like You wouldn't think it would work that way. But John the Baptist had a bite about him, um, would uh, kind of operate. Jesus would come in and show a little more grace with truth. Uh, John the Baptist really stayed on, on the truth side of things and said, look, the Messiah is coming. Don't care how you feel. Don't care what your opinion is. Uh, but this is what needs to change to prepare you for when the fire comes that you can handle it. So his job in love, he was loving the people around him. Because he knew that in their current state, they couldn't handle him when he was to come. And that was proof when we see in the gospel when Jesus shows up in the temple and they weren't ready. And it says, and we looked at what Bonhoeffer said. He said, when you confront Christ, you either embrace him or you kill Jesus. And it says in that moment that they begin to conspire, the priests, the Levites, of how how can we get rid of him? How can we kill him? because we can't handle the change that he's bringing. He's touching too much in our life, touching our livelihood, touching uh, uh, our idea of how we think he would take over the world and start a revolution. And so this is what Malachi is preparing. And he goes on to say in verse 2, but who can endure and who can stand when he appears? Look what it says. For he is like a refiner's fire, a launderer's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. He will purify you and I and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. So we even see that what we just read in Hebrews 12 that when the fire of God comes, it prepares you to offer, to be an offering in righteousness. And so what I want us to see this morning and and really. The question I wanna continue to ask is are you prepared for when the fire comes to touch you? And in this Advent season, I pray that you're drawing closer to him, that you're preparing yourself because it's when the fire of God touches you is really when you grow and when you grow exponentially. We all have seasons and times where we look at our lives where we can point to a moment or a season where we say, man, God was doing a lot there and I really grew in my walk with God. I grew from grace to grace. Many times it's marked because the fire of God was present and you were putting things off, you were pulling things in and when we see that this is how God works, uh, that it's really a theme and I, and I want to show you a couple things that it's a theme from Genesis to Revelation that we see that Abraham, he encountered God at Hebron and he, he came as a smoking oven and a burning torch. Moses encountered God as a burning bush in the wilderness now think about Moses and the burning bush when he saw the burning bush it was it it appeared as a, a bush a tree but it was set ablaze so it wasn't being consumed by the fire it was set ablaze by the fire so there is pictures in the word of God that when the fire of God comes it sets ablaze it does not consume so it's Understanding the difference between that which is to be set ablaze, which we just heard from Malachi, it's that which is gold and silver and precious gems. Paul even says it in Corinthians that that which is wood, hay, and stubble in your life when the fire of God comes, it consumes it, but it's that which is gold, silver, and precious gems, it sets that ablaze. So there's two ways that this fire works. It consumes and it sets ablaze. That which is pure gold, gold, silver, and precious gems in your life, the image of God in you, the fruits of the spirit in you, your relationship with God, it should push you forward and and set uh, you on fire to grow in those things all while simultaneously burning up that which is wood, hay, and stubble in your life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a God uh, when he loves us? And I'm gonna talk about the wrath of God in a minute and how we misunderstand that. Um, because a lot of the times we perceive it is wrath when it's that which is consuming and burning away wood hay and stubble because we're so attached to it and because there's a grieving and a hurt when God begins to touch those things so we think he's being wrathful with us and so we understand that the consum- I wrote this down the consuming fire of God consumes simply that which needs to be consumed that that is really The process of it And and just like we see With Shadrach, Meshach, and and Abednego Was that which bind them Which was consumed 1 Peter 4.12 says this If you put it up It says, beloved So he's talking to you and I Do not be surprised At the fiery trial When it comes upon you So it's saying Don't be surprised When you're immersed And emerged Into the fiery trials of life Anybody gone through, through Some fiery trials? I know a lot of us are presently going through some. So he's saying, don't be surprised that this is what should be expected as a follower of Christ. So don't be surprised when it comes upon you. Look why it comes. It comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So it's saying, don't be surprised when the fire comes to consume and when it comes to set ablaze. You know, even in Revelation, it says that when Christ comes, he'll have eyes of Isn't that amazing that when we see him again, his eyes will be piercing with fire. We also see in other places in the word of God um, that after Moses led Israel out of Egypt and when he went to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights that there was fire and smoke. Uh, We see that Elijah said, let the God who answers by fire, right? When he called down fire from heaven. Ezekiel had a vision of God by the river Kebar, And it was a blazing fire Daniel had a vision of the ancient of days Among his throne That came forth as a river of fire And our good friend John the Baptist said The Messiah would come And burn the chaff With a consuming fire So again we see this theme Hebrews says that our God Is a consuming fire I want to read this to you First Corinthians 3.10 And I want you to see where we get the wood, hay and stubble and and this refiners process. It says in verse 10, that by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on a foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. You ever go in a house and you say, wow, this is this was built great. And then you go into another house and you say, who the heck built this thing? So he's saying that there is a difference and there is a defining line of how we build our lives and build the temple of the Holy Spirit. It says their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. So this Refiners moment The judgment seat of Christ Is what this is leading us into That we will Give an account um, Of our lives In uh, The judgment seat of Christ That the deeds done in the body The Bible talks about will give an account At the judgment seat So he's saying that on this day If you don't allow The fire In essence the, The purgatorial fire of God In this life In this moment to burn up this wood, hay, and stubble, than that which God intended to remain, that you're going to miss the fullness of what He's done and what He's called us to be. It says, "If anyone builds using these things, their work will be shown." And it says it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. You know, we had a inspection on our on our uh, building. They had forgot to see something when. We Building the school, there was a small inspection missed on a part of the framing, and so it was already covered up by drywall paint on it. And the inspector had to come in and, and take a uh, a drill with, you know, about the size of the hand of my fist with a, a bit on the end, and drill through the drywall so that he could confirm that it was the right gauge of metal that was sitting behind it. Praise God, it was. Um, but. Seeing the the level of some inspectors, there's good inspectors, there's inspectors who just kind of whistle and walk through. um, I kind of like those at times. But a good inspector will do his due diligence to make sure that which is on the plans reflects to what is in real life. And so just painting a picture, it's saying that the inspector is coming and he's going to inspect our lives of how have we built it because there's nothing hidden from him there's nothing that uh, what we say we did and what we portray to everybody else all of that will mean nothing because it will be the reality of the situation it's not going to matter how you built your life in the metaverse right? some of you are like what the heck is the metaverse we'll all know about it in several years I'm sure Um, which is another topic for another time but how we build our, our lives in an augmented reality or how we portray ourselves on our social medias or how we wanna be perceived online. That's all fine and well, but a lot of the times, it's a, it's a, um, it's a very, it's a highlight reel, just like what you see on Sports Center. right? You see the best of the best. We, we put so much time and effort to be seen and portrayed and edited and brushed up and polished. Your polished self isn't gonna meet anything to Jesus on the judgment seat. It's gonna be the real you, what came out of your mouth, the deeds done with your hands, not how you want it to be perceived. And to me, this is where it's, I ask myself, am I ready for this fire? This is, when you think of the fear of the Lord, it should put a sense of, this is why I wanna honor God with my life. And see, there's two trains of thought. We don't, I've never been one where you scare someone into salvation. But because it doesn't sustain. But when you show them a loving God who redeemed them, cared for them, dealt not with just your justification, but dealt with the wound of sin, because sin leaves a wound that our great physician heals in this life. So when you paint a picture of just a wrathful, vengeful God versus a God as a father, a scene in the Trinity, when you portray a relationship like that, It's going to be sustaining, not, oh, my gosh, I'm jolted out of my socks. Yes, I want to follow Jesus, but you did it out of fear, not out of um, revelation or relationship. So it says that each person's work, the quality of it will be tested. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames about you, but that's not how I want to be presented before Christ. is one just escaping through the flames. So it, it, it gives the difference that what we build in our life matters and we want it to be that which is not wood, hay, and stubble. That we want his unconditional, unchanging, immutable, unquenching love operating and flowing in our lives. You know, there's this uh, picture this icon I came across, and uh, Peter, I saw you posted it not too long ago, but it, it's the uh, Trinitarian crucifix. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but this is uh, a beautiful picture of the redeeming work that was being done on the cross. And, and Tim, if you put this up, I want you to see this. Okay, so as they get this up, you'll see that it's not just Christ on the cross or just an empty cross. But when uh, the church in its traditional calendar honors the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is how we know God, um, it is a picture of uh, a dove that sits on top that represents the Holy Spirit. And it's as though the Father, you can see his head behind the person of Christ holding the hands of the Son as he is redeeming for the sins of the world. And so it's a, a beautiful picture of what was taking place at the cross, that there is um, a lot of misunderstanding and misconception of the wrath of God, um, that the Trinity was was separated and working against each other. This has been for, if you're a theological nerd, this has been up for debate uh, between all different denominations and what was taking place and what it meant when Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? All of these things. But this is a beautiful early church representation of how they understood what was taking place at the cross, that the Father was present, was healing and helping, and that the Holy Spirit was present in the moment. Aren't you thankful even at your darkest hour, the Holy Spirit will always be present in your moment? You see, there's also, up till the 12th century, the church universally and unanimously would make the sign of the cross, that it would almost be in a way we can understand when we put on the armor of God, your you yourself, you're armoring up, you're preparing yourself for battle, that we know that when the enemy sees the cross, it's a constant reminder of his eternal defeat, yes. right? Yes. And so the early church would make the sign of the cross and they would do it in a way that was similar to this. And, and as I've researched this, it's pretty amazing. They would start from the head and they would go in the name of the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. And when they would do this, the three fingers would represent the Trinity. That they would never be, that they would never forget that it's in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because as heresy blazed through the church and the Trinity was challenged, they would make the sign of the cross. Sometimes they would say upwards of ten times a day before they would eat, before they would walk in a home. That it was a constant, consistent reminder that we are bought by the blood of Jesus, that we are protected, and it would communicate theology. Is even how they would make the sign of the cross And then you would have the two fingers If you look at a lot of early church icons You usually see the right hand of those icons in this position So it was was communicating a message And these two fingers Which was another great point of, of challenge and heresy of that time Was the two natures of Christ That he was fully God and he was fully man So when they would make the sign of the cross It was to be reminded of this is the God we serve. This is the real Jesus, because everyone has their own version of Jesus, right? When you ask someone, you know, ain't living a Christian life, but they call themselves a Christian. You got to kind of press in and say, "Well, what is your understanding of Jesus?" And let's go to the Jesus of the Bible, and let's start from there and work out from there in a spirit of love and truth. And so, this was a reminder and a beautiful piece of history. And Personally, when the Bible nerd and the theological nerd in me comes out, um, I I miss because you know we don't we don't make the sign of the cross when we walk in. We kind of miss a lot of these beautiful relics and traditions that weren't meant to be in a spirit of religion and keep you all bound and you know every, what we know religion does. But it was always to communicate a message and to put boundaries and safeguards so that Christ would continually be in front of you as St. Patrick's breastplate said, and behind you, underneath you, when you rise, when you go to bed, that there was always messages being communicated so that Christ would stay at the center of your life. And so when we understand how love has a a purifying effect and how it has a redeeming effect, we've got to understand that God as our Heavenly Father does not oscillate between wrath and anger and that he just is bipolar and goes back between when we deserve wrath and when we deserve love. What does scripture say in three words? God is love. So everything he does is out of love. And what I want you to hear and know this, that the wrath of God can be the love of God wrongly received. The wrath of God can be the love of God wrongly received. When he starts touching wood, hay and stubble in your life, can it feel like the wrath of God? Answer should be yes. And we can be petty people, so we can simply start pointing, saying, God, where are you? We start whining, moaning, complaining, wailing, all the things we do to get God's attention. When he's saying, you're not seeing this as a, as a moment of love to refine you, to purify you, to test you, to make you stronger, to make you more mature. And how we view the wrath of God really determines everything of how we see our Heavenly Father. I've said this before, is that to the to the young, naked eye of a Christian or someone coming into the faith, they usually have these three views of the Trinity, that God is an angry dad, Jesus is a cool brother, and the Holy Spirit's weird. That's kind of what sums up to how they would view the Trinity. But when you get to the Word of God, and when you know how from Jesus to the apostles handed down how ancient faith is supposed to guide into our modern world you see that that's farthest from the truth and so when we understand that God is always redeeming and that the fire of God is always warmth and light um, that when what we think is wrath is usually temporarily it's grief in the moment for what is leaving and what's being touched in us and we feel the pain of that and so i want us to think scripture says that what gets a person it's the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and it's the pride of life that is the wood hay and stubble that the fire will always touch in any situation and at any moment if you've ever been humbled if you've ever been brought low it's usually always touching the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes You know, when we think of God as love, aren't you thankful that he's never lukewarm toward us? See, there's moments and times we're lukewarm toward him, but his love is always blazing and affectionate and moving toward us even when we don't respond or even when we don't receive it. George MacDonald, an author, said this about uh, the refiner's fire. He said that love loves unto purity, that love loves unto purity to purity so when you are experienced the love of God it is loving you to purify you so this is an aspect and a dimension of God's love that we can miss because when he is purifying us it brings the impurities to the top that's what I love about gold and silver and precious metals that when the fire touches it it brings the impurities to the top so that the blacksmith can scrape them off and it can be pure as gold it can be pure silver and have ultimate and have its fullest value and so I, I just want to challenge your thinking there and just wanted to give you a piece of history um, in 2nd Corinthians 5 19 says this and I want to close with this it says for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And so I want us to stand this morning and I I want to pray. And I want to do two things. And Corey, if you come or Seth, you're coming. I want to confess our faith. We've done this before. It's the earliest creed of the church known as the Apostles Creed. And when they would confess their faith, It would remind them that in their circumstance and that in their trial, um, that they not lose sight of when God's fiery blazing love is moving and refining and purifying that you not grow weary and discouraged. But when we understand God's essence, that God is the father, God is the son, God is the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is not God and God is not the son and So there's a way to understand the difference between the essence and that which is. But we understand God is a trinity. And it's a beautiful relationship. And Jesus left us and he said that you and I, you would be one as the Father, Son, and the Spirit are one. This was Jesus' prayer. And when there is unity between us, when I'm being refined and Seth is being refined and we can encourage each other in that refinement, then there is a grace of the Holy Spirit that comes to encourage, and to allow this process of his love to come into a full picture, to come into the fullness of what the end result of that is. It's not to crush you, but it's to allow the image of God in you to shine bright and to be refined. So I wanna encourage you in this Advent season that as you await on an arrival of Christ, an awakening of Christ in your life, don't neglect the fire, stand in it and embrace it and watch what God can do through it. Tim, if you put this up, I want us to confess this together. It's the apostles Creed. It says this, it says, and we can say it together that I believe in God, the father almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, amen. One more confession I want us to make and that's a confession of our sins. This is an early church confession as well. It, it says this if you put it up, Tim. It says, and we can say it together, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone we have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. If you bow your head, I wanna pray. Actually, Seth, why don't you take a moment? Let's sing this again, maybe with some fresh eyes. And anything that you know that is wood, hay, and stubble, why don't you repent of it? And why don't you see and embrace the journey that God has you on and say, Holy Spirit, this week, these next seven days, and this point of Advent, as we look at what Malachi said, that you've come as a refiner's fire, and you're coming again with fire in your eyes. So in the in-between, let anything that is not of you, done and undone, let it burn up in Jesus' name. And let the grace of God cover me. Let the righteousness of God guide me. Let the Holy Spirit comfort me. Father, that you would challenge our thinking. You would challenge our misconceptions of you. That you are a loving God who is redeeming us and who wants to set us free from our binds. And when we stand for you, when we stand against our temptation, when we stand in the one true faith, Father, that when we're thrown into the fire, it's that which binds us will be burned and we'll come out not with a hair even stinged and we won't even smell that of smoke, just like the three Hebrew boys did. In Jesus' name.